Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Okay, please go with me again. We welcome you this morning. And uh, that was my, that's just something that stirred my heart this week that we would uh, pray. I want you to go with me to Proverbs chapter 4. And we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 4. And it's not far off of the things that we've talked about here in just the last minute. A couple of weeks ago, we talked on Mother's Day for moms. And a couple of weeks from now, we'll be talking to fathers. And right in the middle, I thought, I'm not going to so much talk to children. I want to talk about the family. Something that, I, that is, is, has stirred my heart for years. This is, I think, key to so many things. And I believe it will stir hearts this morning. So Proverbs chapter 4. Uh, and before I read this together... Uh, and, and just, uh, I know our, our projector here, just an FYI, is kind of going, it's, it's got a mind of its own, and so it's coming on, going off, going on, going off, and so if it's on, it's on, if it's not, it's obviously, uh, if you look for notes, it'll probably fire back up shortly if it's not already on, but if you have notes, we do have a QR code, you can always contact the church, we can give you notes with regard to today's service if this isn't going on behind me. It is the solemn obligation of parents to give their children the instruction and correction that belong to a follower of Jesus. It is a solemn obligation of parents. In Proverbs chapter 4, I want to read starting at verse 1. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1. And I'm going to just want to look this up because I do want to also read go to the end of the chapter, and I did not include that in this. So Proverbs chapter 4, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1. You found it? Ready? Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Now, when it mentions father here, fathers need to initiate, but it's speaking to parents. Okay, so you can put parents in there. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention. Gain understanding. I give you sound learning. So do not forsake my teaching. When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender, and only child of my mother, he taught me and said, lay hold of my words, here's the part, with all your heart. Everybody say those three words together. All your heart. Let me read that again. Lay hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. If you go down to verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Father, I just ask that today we would open our mind to receive your words that, God, they would be sweet as honey to our taste. That we would embrace your words as words that give life. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The expression there, lay hold of my words with all your heart. 
and you will live. I want to talk about the heart. I want to address because the heart is not simply, not making reference to that muscle in the middle of your chest that pumps. I'm making reference to the the core of your convictions. Some call it your mind. It's not your brain. Brain and mind are two very different things. Some refer to it as your mind. It could be referred to it as your soul. When it makes reference here, lay hold of my words with all your heart and you will live. It is the family. It is the mom, the dad, the biological family or the family that you are placed in. Not the church, not a Christian school. It is the family. That is the primary responsible agent for biblical and spiritual training of our children. The church should help and assist it. Christian schools can assist that. Christian curriculum and resources can assist. But it is the responsibility of the family to give spiritual nurture to children. And it doesn't even have to be biological family. I am conducting a funeral this coming Saturday to a man I've known for a number of years. And he was a trucker. He was a person that was far from God in early stages of his life. And when he came to Christ as Savior, his was a dramatic 180 turnaround in his life. I'm thrilled that we never, we never really knew him prior to salvation. We knew him post-salvation. And he was a joy to get to know. It's a joy to do his celebration of life together. And him and his wife, who radically were saved, him and his wife, so passionate were they, they brought into their marriage uh, children from their previous marriage. But when they came to Christ, they were passionate, such a passion for kids that they would foster 21 kids over the years. And I remember when I was pastoring him at the time, him and his wife, they would introduce me to another grown adult child of theirs. And we didn't know which were biological and which were foster. Because they were all daughters, they were all sons, and they all called the mom and dad well into life, well into their adult years when they had children and grandchildren. It was mom and dad because they took serious that the family would be a family whose heart would be turned to the Lord. And those kids' lives were, many of them, radically changed on a, on a road to destruction. But because of foster parents who were involved in their life, who captured their heart. And, and I was thinking of that this past week. It's going to be a joy to be a part of that celebration. And already the tributes, I've been given tributes. This one wants to share a tribute, and that one wants to share a tribute, and this one wants to share a tribute. And most of them are these foster children getting up and giving tribute to how it has changed their lives. Praise God. Oh, God, increase those numbers. Increase those numbers that will help reach out to our children. It's not just biological. The very core of Christian nurture is this. The heart of the father, again, when I say father, I mean parents. The heart of the father must be turned to the heart of the child in order to bring the heart of the child back to the heart of the Savior. The heart of the father, the heart of the parents have to be turned to their kids in order for their hearts to go to God. And if there's a disconnection between their hearts and God, there might well have been a disconnection between the parents' hearts and the kids' hearts. And the kids' hearts back to the parents' hearts. Some scriptures here that relate to this is Proverbs 23, 
Verse 26, again, you can write these down if they're not in power. Okay, here we have it. Proverbs 23, 26. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes keep to my ways. Give me your heart. Malachi 4, 6. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers or else I will come and strike the land with the curse. Now, let's take a look at the land today and we live in a time of curse where the hearts of the children have been given over to something else. We live in a time of curse. Take special note where he says, I will strike the land. See, until the children give their hearts to the parents, they will not be ready for the Lord. Luke chapter 1 verse 17 says, And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, Elijah is referenced to a picture of a prophetic word to the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of righteousness to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. How will they get prepared? There's something will happen in the family. And if the family remains disconnected and the hearts are not turned back, they will not be revival in the land. It comes back to the hearts. The parents to the kids and the kids back to the parents. I've just finished a couple of weeks ago reading a novel written by James Dobson. James Dobson, psychologist, Dr. Dobson, Christian psychologist who was really the pioneer and founder of Focus on the Family, a Christian ministry worldwide, probably a renowned ministry around the world, James Dobson. And he passed away a number of years ago, but he he wrote this novel and it was published in 2013, just before he died. And I just finished reading it. I picked it up for a couple of bucks, and I just finished reading it. It, was, it really gripped me. In, in this novel, he wrote, it was called Fatherless. It's called Fatherless. And what he was doing, he's, he was looking into our, our day and age of how we have reduced the family. We've changed the whole structure of the family and our secularization. What it will look like if we do not make some drastic changes, what it will look like 20 to 30 years from now, it's going to be devastating. The trajectory as this psychologist began to look down the road, in the way the, the, way the curve is going, it, it's not good news. And he writes this in the book called Fatherless. So let me share this morning seven things around a child's heart. Number one, gain the affection of your child's heart. How do we do this? Number one, gain the affection of your child's heart. I want to recount to you this morning a story It's a story found in 2 Samuel chapter 13, chapter 14. It's a story of King David. King David who uh, was the one that the Holy Spirit inspired to write the book of Psalms. It was a song book. It was the worship book of the day. And David who became a king who we like to, to look at his life and say there's a lot of good in his life. And there is a lot of good. The scripture we read earlier in Proverbs was... One of his children who was speaking of the relationship he had with dad. But not all his kids had that kind of relationship. Quite to the contrary, there were those in David's family that he had not the heart of. And the story in 2 Samuel chapter 13 and chapter 14 is a story of another son of David. His his name is Absalom. And David did not have the heart of Absalom. Well, David had a number of children. They were to different mothers, many of them. A son... Ammon, there was a daughter, Tamar, Ammon and Tamar were, well, half-brother-sister to each other, 
Tamar, daughter of David, was a full sister to Absalom, another son of David. Here's what took place. The half-brother to Tamar lusted after his sister and committed an incestuous rape. He raped her. He raped Tamar, and it became known of the rape. And dad, David, needed to deal with this family problem. But we have no record that David dealt with it. We have no record that David dealt harshly with Ammon. And Absalom was so distraught that his sister was raped by another brother that dad needed to step into this. He was not only dad, he was also the king of the country. Dad did, as far as we know, nothing or very little. And the injustice in Absalom tore him apart. Two years later, David's son Absalom would have enough. And he took justice into his own hands. And he, he, in taking justice, he killed his brother Ammon. Absalom killed Ammon. Now there is a bigger problem now in the kingdom of David, in the household of David. And because it brought the wrath of the father, because a son was killed by another son, Absalom ran from his father. Now seven more years would pass. David didn't communicate to Absalom, his son. Seven years, no communication. So here you see Absalom, and all this time, he's living in bitter distress. Anger mounting towards his dad. He has been rejected by his father. David presented himself then to Absalom only as the monarch of the throne, not as loving father. He brought Absalom back home, but he was only back home as not as a son in relationship, but one who was simply brought back home, a man brought back home. You see, beloved, this morning, to children, they don't so much mind what you do, mom and dad, as long as you first to them are mom and dad. You can have the greatest job in the world, but you need to be mom and dad. You can have the greatest influence. You can be of great persuasion. There might be people back into your call. But to your son and to your daughter, you would better be mom and dad. Got to be mom and dad. And so the next chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 15, we see Absalom ascend and take over his father's throne. There's a coup. He takes his dad's throne. And how he began to do that, Absalom goes in chapter 15, you read of it, he goes to the gate of the city. And he did what David needed to be doing for him. Absalom did what his dad should have been doing all along. Here's what Absalom did at the gate of the city. He listened to the people coming and going. He talked to the people and he touched the people. The very things dad never did for him. He now did for the people. Under his dad's kingdom. He listened to the concerns of the people. He heard them. His heart was moved by it. He talked and engaged with people. Dad didn't. And he touched the people. His dad didn't. And the Bible says he stole the hearts of the people. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. It's a recipe. Follow that you got it. He stole the hearts of the people. I'm going to come back to that in a few moments. First thing, key ingredient in raising godly children is get 
their hearts early. Got to get their hearts early. Number two, keep their hearts and be vigilant. Don't lose it. Keep their hearts. It's a big job. It's a huge job in our North American culture. If you do lose their hearts, and some will, quickly put plans into action whereby you regain their hearts. And do it no matter what it costs. Do it no matter what it costs. It may cost you much. We've raised our children. We're always thrilled to have our daughter with us, our oldest daughter. And Carissa's the oldest of two. We have a son. And back a few years ago, our son came and he declared himself self-declared atheist. He quit believing. And it was a very tumultuous time in our family, in our relationship. As, you know, I, I don't have a problem dialoguing. I don't have a problem sharing what I believe. And he's a very tender heart. And it walked over his heart in the process of me getting some points across. And went through a period of time where there was no conversation. We went ice cold. Pulled back, pulled away. Adult son in his 30s. And when this happened, there's, it was a very difficult time. We prayed and prayed and it came down. Dad, you've got to take the initiative. You take the initiative. And so we eventually worked into a place. Remember, here's my point. Keep their hearts and be vigilant not to lose their heart. But if you lose their heart, regain their heart no matter what. And so really the process back was we agreed to go on Zoom in a little thing I called one for one. Called it one for one Zoom. And he agreed to go one, one day a week, one for one, where he would go on and we would come on a Zoom. I would let him dictate the time. I would purpose in my mind. I would never advise if he never asked. And one for one means he got to ask me any question. And it was up to me whether or not I wanted to answer. I got to ask him any question. And I kept the questions pretty generic for quite some time. Often childhood questions, just questions that allowed just open answers. Some of them I gave him a day ahead of time. And, and there was times he shook in trying to answer because he knew I wouldn't like the answer. And literally in tears because he knew I wouldn't like the answer. And I had to give him permission to say whatever he did. One for one. We did that for a period of time and regained our hearts. Regained our hearts. The emphasis, keep their hearts, be vigilant not to lose their hearts, but do no matter what it does to take their hearts back. Rebellion originates in the heart. Rebellion is more of a heart problem than a behavior problem. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 10 says their hearts are always going astray. In the story of Absalom, we were talking earlier, Absalom wandered because his heart wandered. He followed his heart. His heart wandered. He went the way of his heart. It is easy to focus on the symptoms. We can focus on our children being mouthy. We can focus on the children being raunchy. We can focus on the drugs that they're getting into. We can focus on their friends. We can focus on some of those things. But listen, the heart of every problem is a problem of the heart. So where their heart's being led, it becomes a heart issue. The other things are just symptoms. They're dressings on the heart. It's the heart you got to focus on. 
Focus on the symptoms, you'll never find the heart. Therefore, a child or a parent who has a child's heart, a parent who has a child's heart, they then have access to every part of a child's life. And great influence will follow. Therefore, any parent who does not have a child's heart carries a strong potential of that child rebelling. If we don't have the heart of our children. So the question, do you have your child's heart? Number three, whoever has their child's heart will eventually have their child's loyalty. Whoever has their child's heart will eventually have their child's loyalty. Often friends of your child will get their hearts over the parents. We know that. We see that. The world is offering so much in return for the affection of your child's heart. The world is offering so many trinkets. (laughs) Therefore, Our sons and our daughters are giving their hearts over to the babysitter, giving their hearts over to a sports hero, giving their hearts over to someone on television or someone in the media or some music personality or a teacher, a friend, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, whoever that might be. They're they're giving their hearts. We all give our hearts to something or someone. Mom and dad, if you want a good idea, if you want to know where your child's heart is, Watch what they're watching on TV. If you want to know where their heart is, take a hard look at the friends that they're associating with. If you want to look where their heart is, look at the games they're playing. Listen to the music they are listening to. With and who, the toys they want, the music they listen to, the pictures on their bedroom's wall. You'll know their heart by looking at those things. Whoever has the child's heart will eventually have their loyalty. Number four, children want parents to have their hearts. Because I could hear you thinking a minute ago, well, my kids don't want me. My kids don't want me. Every child wants their parents' affection. Now, they won't necessarily say that because of all the things and wounds and hurts and, and propaganda and things that, that has changed some of their direction. But fundamental in the heart of every child is the affection of a parent. We were bred with that. God-given. Children want parents to have their hearts. This comes naturally, and you see it as little toddlers. And I'm just seeing if they're here today, but a family, maybe they're joining us online this morning, but um, Obesi and and, uh, Alawi, a young couple in our church, and they have the cute little 17, 18 month old boy and they come out to my Wednesday evening Bible study and we're out in the cafe and, and he's around and I've been trying to win his little heart you know, and I'm just not winning on this one oh you are here you are. okay and, and I've been and so there he is it's cute and, and so, so what I've been doing is I've been going down this little guy and, and trying to get him to come to me and, uh, and, and he just, he'll get so far, and then he'll turn around, see mom, see dad, and run back to them. And he's always seeking their approval. Now, here's the case I'm trying to make, not his and my relationship. But the case is, is he needs to know it's okay with mom, and he needs to know it's okay with dad to come to me. He's, he needs to know in his heart that their hearts are connected. Now, he's young. He's going to get older, and that's going to all change. 
But this is a case in point. His heart is drawn to mom and dad's heart. And the point I'm saying here, children want their parents to have their heart. Little toddlers, they go out like he'd, and he'd, he'd get so close and then he'd turn around, he'd run back because that's security right there. It's love, it's embracing, it's okay. And their venturing out is based on, when they're this age, based on how mom and dad are doing. If mom and dad are okay with it and they feel that security. But when they reach 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years of age, they're inclined to give their heart to someone else. Inside, they're still crying out to mom and dad. Never mistake, there's a cry still there. They're still crying out. They're still crying out that mom and dad would still have their heart. And like Absalom wanted his dad, David's heart, to care for him and to be a dad to him, so does every boy and girl. And Satan lies to moms and dads here, saying, it's just adolescent rebellion and it's normal. No, it's not normal. It will happen because it's the work of the flesh and what Satan places into their path. But don't just accept it. Do not just tolerate it. It's a work of darkness to capture their heart. Remember, if you don't capture their heart, you won't get them. And to steal their hearts. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23. For rebellion is like the sin of divination. There's nothing normal about it. Rebellion is a sign of a wandering heart. And when a child has a smart mouth, you just don't chalk it up to being a teenager. No, their heart's wandering. And so you begin a process adamantly to regain the heart. Do everything you can to regain the heart. Children want parents to have their hearts. Know that. Know that. Right on through. Right on through. Never ceases, never fails. Number five. The ideal picture of a child-parent relationship, of course, is Jesus. John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son does also. We see in John chapter 5, verse 30, Jesus said, By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. See? My heart's fully to my Father. My heart's fully to my Father. John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus would say, I and the Father, <clears throat> we're one. He's got my heart. He's got my heart. And this is the ideal. We look to this as the ideal. We model our lives after this. So let me appreciate the three dangers. Here are the three dangers we need to know. Number one, the heart can be lost. Number two, the heart can be hardened. Number three, the heart can be stolen. The heart can be lost. A heart lost means it doesn't know where it's going and it grabs on to that which it feels it can gain its affection from. Secondly, a heart can be hardened. Yes, it can be hardened back towards the parent. It can be hardened towards loved ones who are still believing God for that person. A heart can be hardened. And a heart also can be stolen. Stolen right out from underneath. Everything is going well. The affections there has been closed. And then somebody comes in there and steals the heart of our loved one. Be careful, parents, though. Because the hearts are susceptible. If there's anger in the home... If there's a crushing of the child's spirit, there's a great book. I think it's a timeless book. There are some books that never should go off the shelf. 
And this one is one of the early ones. I mentioned him earlier, James Dobson. He wrote one of his early books called Dare to Discipline. It's been revised multiple times. You can still get the book. It's still in print. It's still in, uh, you can get it different ways through media. And this book, Dare to Discipline, the revised of the revised of the new revised, I was looking at it, so many revisions to it, just updating it to the date in which it's now. Uh, but Dare to Discipline, and he, one of the big keys we learned in this book, one of the big keys you want to break, you don't want to break your child's will. You want to break the defiant spirit. And be careful you don't get those two mixed up because if you break their will, you break their heart. But you need to curb their heart and some things need to be broken. Parents need to be involved in that. So these can cause our heart to harden. James 1.20 Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Absalom. He would go to the city gate. And the Bible says he stole the hearts of the people. How, does, how do our hearts get stolen? I go back to the three things I mentioned earlier. He listened to them, he talked with them, and he touched them. Their hearts will be stolen through those. Likewise, have you seen how your kids hang with their friends? Watch their friends. Why are their friends so close? Because their friend is listening to them. They longed to be listened to. Their friends talk with them. Doesn't talk down. But talks. And their friends, they're always high-fiving. They're always slapping each other. They're always hanging off of each other. They're touching each other. Listen to them, talk with them, touch with them. Same thing happened with Absalom. Likewise, have you seen how our kids deal with this with those that are around them? These same things with parents will allow them to give their hearts back to you. Listen to them, talk with them, touch them. Mom and dad, listen to their problems. Mom and dad, look them in the eyes in conversation. When a conversation ensues, don't be sharing it with something else. Sometimes those devices are our worst nemesis. Mom and dad. Put them down when a conversation is about to take place. Mom and dad, can I encourage you? If your children are still young enough and you can do this, if they're in the home, reestablish a table time for eating. Reestablish a table time. Best conversations happen around there. Because, well, you're not splitting it with your device. You're not on the phone with somebody else. You're not running here and there. Just a time. Listen, talk with them, look them in the eye. Give them your attention. Sometimes it's hard to get their attention. You see, if we've done it, they move off and they give their attention to the games. They want to get back to their game. They want to get back to their friend. They want to take off to their room. And don't ever believe that proper physical affection is something they do not want. We all need it. Look them in the eye, and when they share their hurts, mom and dad do not make sport of it, no matter how minor it seems to be. Treat it like the way it ought to be treated in their eyes. It's very serious. If it's important for your child, then it's important for you. To kiss your little daughter's doll, the hurting toe, <laughs> is more important to you 20 years from now than you getting the big raise at your boss from your boss. It's way more important to you. Care about what they care for. And that goes right on through. To reach your children, you have to listen to what motivates them. 
Number six, only the heart can keep the heart. In times of disobedience and rebellion, it is not a time to pull back. It's a time to draw near. But frequently we pull back and I'm going to give them space. But it's not the time for space because something's filling that space and it's not you. The home of a rebellious child is all too often filled with negativism. Negative things are spoken often. It's just down, down, down. So what do we do? Go out of the way and figure out ways to praise them. And sometimes you have to get alone and you have to just start to make a list and praise them. And, and it can be hard at first, but it will come. What you can say positive. Begin to fill them with praise for the things that you can. Don't praise things you can't praise them for. But the things you can, begin to fill praise. Offset. Praise is like a magnet. Praise creates joy. Praise gives acceptance. Criticism, on the other hand, is like a magnet that repels. Have you ever done that? Break two magnets together and had two positives or two negatives. They repel each other. When you are in the process of others, don't belittle your children. Praise them. Speak well. Not in mock flattery. Also, children need greater positive adult influences in their life. That's a whole other topic. They need positive adult influences in their life because chances are they're surrounded with negative negative influences, influences that are leading them, their hearts away. Look for ways, and, and this is one of the big reasons I'm encouraging, come to my table emphasis, I'm encouraging our congregation to invite people over to our homes and to have people sitting around our tables so that even with children, so that we can develop positive role models, positive friends, positive relationships, because guarantee it's going on all over the place. They're doing it at their sports team. They're doing it with other things that they're involved in. We got to do it in the context of the body of Christ. One of the greatest works of the enemy in the pandemic has separated us from this. It's time to get back to what God has called the church to be, a church to be a church to each other. Only the heart can keep the heart. And number seven, conclusion. Parents need to take the following steps to turn the hearts of their children back to themselves and to God. We're going to pray this in just a moment. Number one, ask God for forgiveness. We always start there. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. And seek him with all your heart. If that doesn't happen, then really what is it are we offering? So ask forgiveness. God, forgive me. Forgive what's taken place. Be specific. Secondly, in that, seek him with all your heart. You change your, yourself first. Nothing else will work if you don't. God's order, number one, turn the... When we read Malachi, he said, turn the hearts of the parents first to the children. If your heart doesn't get turned, your kids' hearts will never be turned. First thing he ordained, Malachi Turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And then he'll turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers. That's the order. Secondly, regarding your young child, your young child, distance them from negative influence. When they get older, it becomes more difficult. Distance them from negative influence. The more, the better. Yes, you will be involved. And you have to do it again. Keep their heart, keep their heart, keep their heart. Follow through these things. Listen. Talk, be attentive, touch. Allow these things to continue to flow, a constant flow of, of harmony. But in so doing, 
Don't be afraid of distancing. Some say, well, you don't get involved. You just let be what be. No, no, parents, this is parenting. This is the correction. This is getting involved. You get involved in their lives. Proverbs 13, 20, listen to this. He who walks with the wise grows wise. Listen, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Don't let them suffer harm. You gotta be involved in that. You gotta be jumping in the middle. I remember a situation, our son, when he was 14 years of age, there was a person, a girl, who pursued him adamantly. And she kept saying they were an item. And we had a conversation on a Sunday with her, my son, and she was saying, and she, she, she addressed it. And she was saying, hey, we need to have a talk about the four of us. And I stopped her. And I said, no, we are not having a talk about the four of us because there's three of us. My son, his mother, his father. There's three of us. And we actively got involved. When he was going to work, we actively took him. We stayed until afterward. We actively got involved regarding an influence that was a negative influence. We actively got involved in his life. And we're thankful we did because it would have spun out bad as we watched her life spin out. And yes, we got blackmailed for it. The family left the church, all that kind of stuff. It's a price to pay for your child to be involved in those who are involved in their life. So regarding your young child, distance them from negative influences. This includes friends and it includes family members. Number three, pray over all demonic powers influencing your child. Boy, we need to pray, don't we? Everything bad and removed must be replaced with something good. Don't leave a vacuum because the latter state will be worse than the former state. So when something's removed, it's got to be replaced with something positive in order that they have something good to fill up that vacuum. So you pray over those demonic influences influencing your child and get involved in that filling of the positive. The next part here is parents then draw closer to your child. Look for ways, seek ways. God will show you. And it will require massive amount of patience and kindness and understanding. And then next, continue to praise your child. All through this, continue to praise. Don't let negativism take over again. Frequently, parents need to humble themselves and sometimes, sometimes many times, ask the child's forgiveness that they just made a mistake. When children know that mom and dad are working and they humble themselves and ask forgiveness of them, it begins a process that their hearts are open. I don't think there's anything more powerful than forgiveness. When somebody says, I have wronged you. Would you please forgive me for my wrong? You can have, you know, a person can say, I, can, I will never forgive you, but you have just opened a door of love to that person. Continue to praise your child. God's calling us to regain the hearts of our family. I was 17 years old and had gone through a season in my own personal life of rebellion. And at 17 years of age, I was kind of in the heart of it. And I'm not sure what drew me to opening a Bible I had received years before that, an old King James Bible. I have it done in my library. Never get rid of that Bible because it's, it's, it's one of those memorial rocks in my life I look to every once in a while. 17 years old, and I opened up, and just inside the cover of my Bible, uh, my parents had written a letter to me. They didn't, I don't remember them ever telling me about, and when I mentioned it to my mom now, she can't remember, okay, so, um, but they wrote this letter, at the, and it was called, um, Build Us a Son. They wrote this letter, and I think they took it from somewhere, but it became the prayer that they put in 
the front, just one of the front pages, it was a blank page in my Bible, written in red. And it was written by my mother because she writes in size three font. Like now I have to get like, you know, my glasses just right to read it. But it made an impression when I was 17 years old. I stumbled across it, and there it was in the front of the Bible. I'd opened up my Bible, and it said this. Build us a son, O Lord, who will be strong enough to know when he is weak and brave enough to face himself when he is afraid. One who will be proud and unbending in defeat, but humble and gentle in victory. A son who will know that to know himself is the foundation stone of all true knowledge. Rear him, we pray, not in the paths of ease and comfort. Now, if you ask me, I wish they wouldn't have put that in there. <laughs> not in the paths of ease and comfort, but under the stress and spur of difficulties and challenges. Here, let him learn compassion for those who fail. Build us a son whose heart will be clean, whose goal will be high. One who will learn to laugh, yet never forget how to weep. One who will reach into the future, yet never forget the past. Enough of a sense of humor, so he may always be serious, yet never take himself too seriously. A touch of humility, so he may always remember the simplicity of true greatness. The open mind of true wisdom, the meekness of true strength. Then we, his parents, will dare in the sacred recesses of our own heart to whisper, we have not lived in vain. Wow. That impacted me when I was 17 years old. Enough to remember it these many years later. I want to pray with you. These, these things are, these are, are not just you know, waving a wand. It will all come to pass. I know there are a hundred questions. And a hundred reasons why it won't happen. But this is where our faith journey gets ticklish. You go it. And you go it because you need to go it. And the heart, the heart drives you to that next place. It's time to gain the hearts back again in our families. It's time to call them back and to be forward in making this a priority in our own lives. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.